getting warmer and warmer. Narayani and I have been talking about will we be able to continue doing these classes outside the next week or not. In the moment we were talking about how warm it is, suddenly this really cool breeze began to flow and we were like, okay. Seems like the masters are asking us just to stick it out a little longer. We've been traveling with Yogananda for so long now, in so many places, and we've just returned from our trip to Kashmir with him. And during that time, this is chapter 21, we do visit Kashmir, or we visit Kashmir. Um, Sri Yukteswar falls, you know, quite deadly ill. And Yogananda has to be back for his college in Serampur, and Sri Yukteswar indicates that he's going to be so gravely ill that he may in fact leave his body. But Yogananda beseeches him and says, My Guru, I cannot live without you. Promise me that you will stay in your body a little while longer. Let's take another moment. Alright. And of course, the Guru consents and says, be as you wish it. And so then Yogananda, of course, Sri Yukteswar just returns back and he's looking extremely like he's lost most of his weight. And Yogananda goes into this entire concept of how these self-realized masters take upon their body the karma of their disciples. And where we left it last class was that conversation around Christ. Jesus being crucified on the cross was really a um, a sacrifice, you can say, that he made for his disciples by taking on a lot of their karma because as we were talking about up till that point, his 12 chief disciples were really, I mean, they had a hard time really understanding. They intuitively knew who Christ is. There's this beautiful conversation where Christ asks his disciples, who do people say I am? And everybody says, some say you are this prophet, some say you are that prophet, some say you are Isaiah, some says you are, you know, whoever, Moses, whatever it is. And then he says, and who do you say I am? And he's just like, we easily get carried away, you know, sometimes you look on television, he's like, ah, oh, this guy has so many followers and so he must be great. And look at that guy, everybody praises him a lot, so he must be great. We naturally just assume that if most people believe somebody to be great, they must be great. But Christ really wanted, he's like, who do you think I am? What's your own intuitive perception? And none of the disciples were able to say anything. They were all like, uh, you know, that's what we've heard. So that's what we're assuming. And then only Peter says, you are Christ, son of God. And then Christ says, man did not tell you that, but my own father is in the intuitive perception. Just as this song was that we sang, he knows whom you let know. Even that final understanding of God is really God's own grace to allow us to really perceive him as he is, as that sweetness that we've been looking for so desperately in our lives. And so, it's only after Christ's crucifixion, after he took upon his body this great karma, that after his death, his disciples suddenly had that greater consciousness descend upon them. We've seen this many times with Swamiji, as we were mentioning in our own lives, how he would take on so much you know, kind of karma. sickness after sickness, karma after karma. I mean, he said when he would go to a hospital, he'd say, I'd carry my CV with me to the <laughs> hospital because the doctor had to just go through every complication. He said, ah, you've had open, open heart surgery, you've got diabetes, you've got this, you've gone through that process, you, you know, you've gone through cancer. He just went through everything, but not one thing defined or shaped his reality as in, it didn't stop him from doing absolutely anything. In fact, it was always an impetus for him to show us how we can all go beyond the body. And so this is the concept we are working with. Only a self-realized master can transfer his life force or convey into his own body the disease of others. An ordinary man cannot employ this yogic method of cure, nor is it desirable that he should do so. For an unsound physical instrument is a hindrance to God meditation. That's one thing Yogananda constantly talked about. He said, make yourself fit for self-realization. That was his goal. I mean, sometimes we can get a little fanatical in trying to, you know, be just right, eat just right and look just right. 
and his whole thing was you definitely need to have your you know human body bodily thing. instrument well attuned like a vehicle like a car you know it needs that tune up it needs to be functioning well in order for it to serve its purpose but we can get obsessed with our cars as well and we can very easily get obsessed with our bodies but that was yogananda's every time you're thinking about um your physical health keep that kind of expression in mind am i fit for self realization is my body strong enough to be able to receive that power that i want to express through me and if that's not the case then you know that you want to push yourself you want to adjust your dietary needs a little bit adjust the amount of physical exercise you're getting but only till that point till you feel wow okay i feel good in this body i'm able to achieve as much as i'm able to achieve without too many hindrances all right that's it now let me forget my body now let me go beyond my body the hindu scriptures teach that the first duty of man is to keep his body in good condition i love that word good condition just like as if it's like a an engine or something you know just keep it well oiled and you know clean otherwise his mind is unable to remain fixed in devotional concentration again a very interesting uh, thing is like okay what does my body have to do with devotional concentration our body you know if it fills up with toxins if the energy does not flow freely when we're talking about devotional concentration we're talking about the energy of the heart lifted up to the point between the eyebrows and we've talked about every time we sit to meditate we're trying to interiorize and draw all that life force gather all our forces to be able to open the heart and then to offer all that loving devotional energy at the seat of super consciousness but when we have a lot of toxins in the body when there when the body is not been well looked after when there's not cleanliness that's one of patanjali's uh, niyamas is to be clean in all levels if there's not that then that energy cannot really interiorize those toxins form energetic knots and blocks throughout our body that's why the energization exercises is like probably the best way for us to uh flush out those knots flush out those toxins but of course diet exercise mental cleanliness in terms of even affirming health all the time affirming a fit body all the time not giving in to the consciousness of the disease as master would say even if you're suffering in an illness separate your mind so that it does not identify with and that and sleep illness. properly also sleep is another very important aspect so we just start to kind of figure our life out not so much from the perspective of how do i want to look and how do i want to feel but what's my final goal and am i able to fulfill that goal with the way that i my current lifestyle is and then you adjust it just to the right proportions neither getting too fanatical about again as we saying diet body health you know outward physical activity and nor neglecting it too much that after a while it becomes harder to keep your mind clean and empty because so many toxins are already introduced in our system a very strong mind however can transcend all physical difficulties and attain to god realization so master of course also saying it's not really just the body it's also how strong our mind can be and that's where the saints excel they can allow anything to happen to their body they can go through you know horrendous experiences on a physical plane but their minds and their consciousness remain unaffected and their will power too yeah will power yeah, yeah the minds essentially that expression of will power in fact i would like to bring out here perhaps a little trick mm-hmm. that i have been practicing for the past few years and it might be helpful for you in order to make our mind strong and how to face you know the blockages of the physical body when you find yourself you are about to enter into a cold or perhaps your headache is already starting there or for all of us the ladies you know every month we have our periods you know the body goes through so many physical challenges it can be quite um, fascinating for you to work with your own energy and just before you allow and indulge yourself in that downward 
flow of energy of getting sick or already visualizing yourself in bed resting or stopping just put a little bit more of energy and redirect that energy don't allow it to really affect your state of mind your energy your consciousness and definitely your mood so one of the things that i do whenever i feel my body is kind of going down i just try to visualize where that energy is in my body perhaps it's here or here or going down so i try very gently no i'm not going to reinforce that downward movement and to just invite that energy and offer that energy that disease which is part of some karmic situation that you are channeling or coming into your life and offer that energy into the divine into your guru and and allow him to transmute and to channel that energy upward if you cannot resist that physically at least mentally keep playing with the power of your mind and you will be amazed when bigger situations come into your life when you really find your body challenging if you train yourself to face the situation you will be less affected psychologically and especially less afraid i'm surprised how unaffected mentally shurjo and i have been in this whole pandemic it's almost that even the disease the pandemic didn't enter in our consciousness we always felt super strong unafraid we we were not concerned going anywhere we just felt like ready to face anything in fact we felt our magnetism was strong enough to push away any disease or any wavelength of sickness that was going around perhaps the world so train yourself to become bigger than the influence and the consciousness of fear or disease or pandemic that goes through the world and and just become a warrior of just repelling and preventing and pushing away with your own magnetism with your own energy with your own thought of strength and health where nothing really can touch you that reminds me of a study swami ji would sometimes refer to was done in a in certain hospitals a study where there were people with a similar affliction disease or problem from a higher strata of society and those of a poor poorer section of society and they did a study to see who recovers faster and they were surprised to see it was always those who didn't have enough money were recovering much faster than those who did have money and they realized that the whole thing was a poor person in a hospital realizes what well, i can't afford this and so that very thought that i need to get out of here quickly kind of helps move that process of healing quicker whereas somebody who has the means and realizes you know what i'm just going to be here until i'm really well and i have no issue and then of course as if the mind accepts that reality then that same sickness is prolonged for a longer period so you just see how how powerful the mind can be as a tool to support whatever healing even without going into a, a spiritual reality once you accept a spiritual truth you can of course even increase that power many fold saint francis of assisi severely afflicted with ailments healed others and even raised the dead amazing i knew an indian saint half of whose body was once festering with sores his diabetic condition was so acute that under ordinary conditions he could not sit still at one time for more than 15 minutes but his spiritual aspiration was undeterrable lord he prayed will thou come into my broken temple with ceaseless command of will the saint gradually became to be able to sit daily in the lotus posture for 18 continuous hours engrossed in the ecstatic trance and he told me at the end of 3 years i found the infinite light blazing within my shattered form rejoicing in the joyful splendor 
I forgot the body. Later, I saw that it had become whole through the divine mercy. When Master tells this story, there's a recording of him telling this story. He says, will thou come into my broken temple? And then when Divine Mother finally comes and heals him in the process, the, the saint says, I never asked for a healing, I just wanted you to come. And Divine Mother says, where my light is, no darkness can exist. And so that's the power that we're looking for. Not healing of our body, not take away this pain, take away my suffering, make everything easy for me. That tends to be the general call we make to the Divine. But to say, I want you. And once I have you, I have need for nothing else. And then, in having God, everything else also seems to just fix itself. A historical healing incident concerns King Babur, founder of the Mughal Empire in India. His son, Prince Humayun, was mortally ill. The father prayed with anguished determination that he receive the sickness and that his son be spared. After all physicians had given up hope, Humayun recovered and Babur immediately fell sick and died of the same disease that had stricken his son. Humayun then succeeded Babur as emperor of Hindustan. So of course, we can also make such strong divine pleas if there's somebody in our life we see suffering. But as Master said, ideally, don't ask for that, you know, especially when your body is not capable of handling it. Know that karma is not, um, what's the better word to say than stupid. Karma knows where it's going, karma knows what it needs to do and it's come to the right place. What we must ask for is whoever is suffering to help them get divine understanding so that they use their suffering to actually learn and grow from it so that then that suffering has true purpose than just, you know, having to go through, just burning a certain karma but the seed of which may continue to remain and have to sprout again perhaps at a later date, at a later lifetime. In fact, you can, perhaps you know of certain people, I know some of them, who have gone with excruciating disease and cancer and pain and once they go through it, once they go to the other side, you can see them transform like something has been lifted up from their consciousness. They start living their lives in a way they have never lived before. They start becoming more aware of larger realities, like, like a true miracle indeed happened in their lives. And it had nothing to do with having that physical uh, health. The, the, the real miracle was that he was able to now live from his higher ways of realizations. And this is what we should pray for, for the spiritual evolution, especially of those whom we really love. And sometimes the quickest way to learn a lesson is through a disease. So don't doubt God's ways uh, working in the ways that he's using to work with a specific family member, with yourself. When a disease comes, accept and recognize that there is a higher power right now in their lives operating. And if we learn how to cooperate with God's ways, if we learn how to accept with deep faith, that this is what we really need in our lives to, to really change certain thought patterns and improve our lives, then we should just like embrace it fully and, and make the best of it because there is indeed a purpose for it. Nothing that comes in our lives is random absolutely nothing. Everything has a purpose. And if we start living our lives, rather than fighting with it, complaining about it, becoming victims from it, really we could become living examples of what it means living my life, surrendering completely to God's will and cooperating 
with his laws because it belongs to me, because I deserve it. And this is coming into my life because also I'm ready to face it. God will never, ever, ever send anything to our lives that we are not able to handle it. Never. So start perceiving your karma, your challenges as an opportunity to keep raising your own bar and spiritual strength. Many people, this is a very interesting point that Master makes here. Many people imagine that every spiritual master has or should have the help and strength of a sando. If you don't know what a sando is, <laughs> sando used to be um, in the 1980s, he was a German uh, bodybuilder. In fact, he is, I believe, Eugene Sando or something was his name. He's the father of modern bodybuilding. Uh, he created the entire concept of, you know, lifting weights and he's the, um, I believe, the trophy also of those guys who, you know, Mr. Olympia or something it's called, who build so many muscles in their body. That trophy is also called the Sando. So, Master is saying over here, Yogananda is saying that we somehow think that if you're a spiritual master, your health should be perfect, you should look perfect, every aspect of you should be perfect. But of course, that is not the case. The assumption is unfounded, he says. A sickly body does not indicate that a guru is not in touch with divine powers any more than the lifelong health, than lifelong health necessarily indicates any inner illumination. That's a beautiful way to look at it. Just because somebody is healthy doesn't mean that they're inwardly, you know, more enlightened or illuminated than others. And so in the same way, just because somebody is physically not in the perfect picture of what your version of health would be does not in any way indicate that they're any less spiritually. That's a very important thing to realize in your own self and as you look at others, you know, it's like, oh, you know, especially nowadays, you've just got every modality of healing in the world, you know, it's just like everybody's teaching some healing or the other. And um, we see a lot of people so deeply attracted to the concept of healing. Just from this perspective, I have to, you know, just be perfect in every way. I should never fall, fall sick. But Narayani and I, every time we've ever gone through anything, which is not that often, but every time we do, we really are very grateful. Because there are so many aspects to our consciousness that we're not aware of. There are so many subconscious realities that sometimes only the body by taking on this karma, by burning through it, that's what even a fever is, isn't it? Raising the temperature of the body, building that inner fire, burning something inside us that we are unable to consciously work on. So just look at every aspect as Narayani said. It's like God knows what he's doing and is going to use every tool at his disposal to help us. So don't get too caught up into this idea of healing. And that is why for us, it's all about whether our Guru wants us to be healed or not by really tuning into him. Should we put out a lot of energy to be healed? Of course, uh, always be practical. You know, don't just be like, hey, hi, God's watching out for me, so I'm not going to put out any effort from myself. Or precautions. Yeah, take the precautions, as we, as we said. You have to keep the body fit for self-realization. But when the body, even in the attempt to being fit, the body still decides it needs to burn something up, then allow it to go through that process. You know, take all the practical realities into consideration as you do so. But know that something else is always at play in our lives, always. And if we, can, if we are willing to relate to it, we'll be able to attune to and actually work on that level. If we're willing only to relate to the physical level and the physical body, then of course we have to suffer in the physical body in the physical way. So it's really up to us where our mind is willing to kind of take us. At every level, we have a potential to access divine realities. If we're willing only to stay here, then we can only relate to God at this level. If we're willing to lift our own consciousness up and relate to Him at this level, then naturally that very disease which seemed to be a burden will become, as Narayani was saying, the greatest gift. So the choice really becomes ours. The condition of the physical body, in other words, cannot rightfully be made a test of a master. His distinguishing qualifications must be sought 
in his own domain, the spiritual. So the only test of anybody on the spiritual path is their spiritual qualities, how much joy they have, mm -hmm. how much light shines through their eyes, even while they're in bed, all sickly, are they going to be smiling? Are they ever going to think about themselves when they are not well? That's the other negative side of falling sick, is that it really forces you to think a lot about yourself. You know, oh, I'm feeling this way, I'm like that, oh, could you do this for me, could you do that for me, you know. But if somebody, if you see, even while they're sick, their thoughts are going out to others. Anybody who comes in, they don't want their energy to drop, so they lift their energy to give, even in that moment, to others. Those are the marks of a spiritual, a true spiritual aspirant who will not let anything in his life bring his energy down, but will use every opportunity given to him to give and to uplift himself and those around him. In fact, it was very surprising to realize that every time that Swamiji felt sick or, or he was going through a very challenging, physical challenging time, it was a wonderful period for us to pray for him. Because every time we prayed for him, we could tune ourselves to the state of consciousness he was going through, through that disease, through that karma, that perhaps it was for the upliftment of all of us, the upliftment of that particular uh, community he was in, but it was really mm, special to pray for someone who is going through um, challenging health. So I would say if you have anyone in your family, a close member, have you tried to pray for him in the highest level? Not just as the person, you know, as my mother who is sick or my brother who, you know, is going through this challenge, but at the soul level, what is God trying to do with them and through them what is God teaching me? Because the more we prayed for Swamiji, the deeper layers of understanding, understanding we received in our own meditations, in our own daily lives, just by praying to the level he was in. So I would say with your own family members, try to tune into their soul evolution right now and why God is using them, for what reason, so what do I need to learn in the process? Then, when you are serving them, when you are helping them, that service, that act of love will be much more meaningful and powerful. You, you will know that there is something in this process that is really changing my life is opening my heart and it's helping me to perhaps face some karmic deaths with this soul I'm helping to. Numerous bewildered seekers in the West erroneously, and it's no longer uh, to the West anymore, erroneously think that an eloquent speaker or writer on metaphysics must be a master. This is another very common <laughs> affliction in society. Anybody who can, you know, speak well, talk well, write well, we say, oh, this guy must be really amazingly spiritual just because for some particular reason they're able to put a few words together in a very melodic <laughs> way. The rishis, however, have pointed out that the acid test of a master is a man's ability to enter at will the breathless state and to maintain the unbroken samadhi of nirvikalpa. Only by these achievements can a human being prove that he has mastered maya or the dualistic cosmic delusion. These are very important things for us mm -hmm. to know, especially when people come and say, you know, oh, I'm looking for a guru or oh, I'm trying to figure out, you know, what my path is. Look to the masters of that path and make sure that it's not just, oh, wow, they write so well and they speak so well and wow, they, they really, you know, and nowadays, again, it's just like, there are people who speak beautifully and not to, you know, 
pull them down in any way. Many of them have, in fact, gone through some very life-changing realizations. But this is the test that all the rishis have placed before us. Do these people enter at will the breathless state? Are they able to enter unbroken into a state of samadhi, into nirvikalpa over here? It's even higher, not just samadhi during meditation, but to stay in that unbroken state of God-realization. That's the test. And for us, if we may or may not realize whether that's happening or not, again, we look to the qualities we can see. The joy, the light, their love. How do I feel in their presence? Don't just go by words. And appearances. And, and by appearances. These days, it's just getting harder and harder and harder because the numbers are increasing dramatically. There are so many people sharing so many wonderful teachings for sure. Nothing's wrong with the teachings themselves. But the spiritual path is not about teachings. It's about attunement. And that's what the Guru's role is. You're attuning to a state of consciousness that you want to merge into. Because we do not know God, that we can't fathom the reality that is God. I mean, we can put it to words, we can define Him crudely. But we don't even know what we're achieving. When I say God-realization, self-realization, you know, there's, it's, it's a vague hope that I think I know that I'm trying to become something greater than myself. But it's still very vague until you experience it. That's where the Guru comes in. He becomes a very solid representation of what that consciousness looks like once having achieved it. And so that's what we are merging with. That's the role of the Guru. Not to kind of give you his books alone or to kind of be there and tell you, no, don't go left, go right, take this job, take that job. That's what we would like is to be pampered in that way. But that's not what they're here for. They're here to transform us completely. And that transformation is our choice in as much as we merge with their state of consciousness. And that attunement is very important. So when we take teachers on that we follow, just be careful, just be mindful, perhaps, if nothing else. What's the state of consciousness that I am attuning to? Because words are fine, the way people express themselves are fine, they certainly show some refinement, no doubt. But is that who I want to become? Is that what I finally, that freedom that I want to taste? Do they have it? Only great gurus able to assume the karma of disciples Sri Yukteswar would not have suffered in Kashmir unless he had received permission from the spirit within to help his disciples in that strange way. Again, a great guru, a self-realized master will do absolutely nothing until he receives inward sanction from God. Alright, now, you know, take the karma of your disciples, help them grow in that particular way. And that's the strange part of a self-realized master that none of us are going to be able understand. to understand because they don't do things as master said one of the greatest uh, signs of being a master is to have the entire power of the universe and not use it because we would use it the moment we have a power we want to show if i have money i want to show it if i have a beautiful car i want to drive it around several times around the neighborhoods people should know what i have but a master doesn't particularly show his powers so easily until he receives divine sanction. For us, we create these saints in our own image. We see what we would do in their stead. And that's of course a very egoic understanding, a limited understanding. Oh, jo hai mere paas, dikhao, batao, dik, you know, use it. But for them, that's not the point. The point is, is this divine will? Is this actually going to help this person evolve spiritually? If it's not, then it's just a show of a little magic tricks here and there. As Master said, like they are not even here. It's not, not a, a circle. Finally, let's say, when I ventured a few words of sympathy over his emaciated figure, my Guru said gaily, it has its good points. I am now able to get into some small Ganges undershirts that I haven't worn in years. Listening to Master's jovial laugh, I remembered the words of St. Francis de Sales. A saint that is sad is a sad saint. Which means if there is no joy, <laughs> then you are not a saint. And even in no matter how bad things may look to us outwardly, if that joy exists, know that that person has something that you want. 
And that's going to be the acid test for those of us who are not yet able to feel what samadhi is, what the breathless state is. Look for joy in people's eyes, in their countenance, in how they express themselves. If you feel that joy, then you know there's something that's right here. I like the fact here that, once again, what happened here with Sri Yudhishthira's disease, he didn't explain verbally any of these insights to Yoganandaji. This is something that Yogananda had to fill it out, had to intuitive perceive what was going on, how Sri Yudhishthira was using his body, who were the disciples around Sri Yudhishthira at that moment that he was going through that disease, why Yogananda wasn't part of that process and he had to go somewhere else. I'm sure that Yogananda, in his own way of understanding his Guru's ways, came through all these you know, divine insights and realizations that luckily for all of us now are able to understand also. But what we see here is that Sri Yudeshwar didn't speak about his disease. He wasn't over and over again reinforcing, I'm sick, I have this pain, I do this, I do not, bring me this, bring me that. This. And this is something that we almost love to share with the world. Anytime we go through a little disease of sorts, we keep talking about it again and again, constantly throughout the day, to every person they, we meet, they ask, how are you doing today? Well, I'm just going through that. And we just, you know, throw at them, you know, all that confusing energy that we are channeling. The beauty of the masters is like they go through excruciating karma, physical pain, and yet you don't even sometimes even perceive in them. They don't even give us a hint of what they are going through inwardly, physically. So this is something good for us also to practice. If we are going through a mild headache, we are going through a little something, a stomachache, just don't keep talking about it to every single person you see. Just, just work with that energy, remain, you know, stay at your center and detach yourself from yourself. This is a wonderful practice because the ego is the soul identified with the body. So the more we keep identifying ourselves with the body, with the disease, with the house we live in, or how do we feel today, I mean, we are not really doing the kind of work that the masters are asking us to do. Like, keep detaching yourself from everything you think you are, even from your own body, even from your own experiences. Don't keep self-defining yourself by the things you have, through the process you go through, uh, with the people you are living with, with your culture, gender, sex. So, I don't know. This, I thought it would be a good practice for us, you know, from now on. Let's not keep talking over and over again when we are going through a disease of sorts. This brings our chapter, We Visit Kashmir, to an end. We have 10-15 more minutes. Let's just move into the next chapter, see what uh, aspect comes out from here. This is chapter 22, The Heart of a Stone Image. As a loyal Hindu wife, I do not wish to complain of my husband, but I yearn to see him turn from his materialistic views. He delights in ridiculing the pictures of saints in my meditation room. Dear brother, I have deep faith that you can help him, will you? My eldest sister Roma gazed beseechingly at me. So Yogananda's eldest sister Roma comes to him and is saying that her husband is very materialistic. He is constantly ridiculing the pictures of the saints in my meditation room and he's asking her brother if he can do something to help change those particular perspectives he has. I love how, you know, these last three chapters, especially we've been going through, we had, we do not visit Kashmir, which was generically about the fact that some of our desires don't get fulfilled. 
we have we do visit Kashmir, which is when our desire does get fulfilled. What does that look like? In that same chapter, we have the whole concept of healing. What does that mean for us? And now we're at a chapter where it's about somebody in our life does not, you know, fully appreciate or support our spiritual aspirations. Some of them are even negative about the fact that I have a spiritual or meditative practice. We all have people like that in our lives and all of us would want to be able to change them. I mean, when we first went on the spiritual path, and perhaps you relate to this, there was so much excitement. We'd want everybody to be on the path. <laughs> We'd try to get all my parents to kind of like meditate. A campaign. My brother, I mean, I was telling my friends and all of them were getting so upset, so tired of me. Like, what's wrong with this guy? It's like, I have found gold and I can't believe you guys don't want this gold that I have. But nobody's interested, are they? <laughs> they don't want to hear all these wonderful things that you think you have found. They're happy or at least as close to happy as they can be in that moment with their own perspectives. And that's absolutely right and true. So we can relate to Roma here saying, you know, I want to I wanna see my husband somehow if he can awaken in him a spiritual longing. especially Or at least at the least not have him constantly deriding and pulling my own practices, my guru, the saints in my life down so she comes to her brother to Yoganandaji for help and then he says beloved sister of course I will do anything I can and Roma and I sat a while in silent prayer for guidance I love this step we don't do these things we just go and we keep pushing and he's like have you read the autobiography of I swear if you just read this book once everything will make sense to you and you know, of course it won't to them would it you have to have already some sense of openness even to receive certain things like this. So the idea is not for us to keep pushing or forcing or changing or asking. I love this, Master said. We just sat down for a silent moment to receive guidance, which we never do. We just assume if I, if I say it 600 times, perhaps it will make a difference. But it usually doesn't. In fact, it can turn them away even from any potential future spiritual longing that naturally awakens in them so here they are just sit down for guidance a year earlier this is a little context my sister had asked me to initiate her into kriya yoga in which she was making notable progress so yoganandaji's eldest sister received kriya initiation from him an inspiration seized me tomorrow i said i am going to the dakshineshwar temple Please come with me and persuade your husband to accompany us. I feel that in the vibrations of that holy place, Divine Mother will touch his heart. I love how he's just left the responsibility to yeah. God. You know, it's just like, oh, it's not like, oh, and then maybe if I can prove to him and if I can show him this and I can show him that and I'll just, you know, I'll show him how I enter the breathless state or whatever it is. And it's just like, oh, let's just, you know, let's just see if we can get him into the right environment just for a little while. Let's see if God, if Divine Mother naturally, if she even wants to bring about some change in this person, which she may not even be interested in, in that moment. She cares for this person just as much as she cares for any spiritual aspirant. And she knows what she's doing with them. So don't you bother too much about people's spiritual evolution. Sometimes it's helpful, in fact, to step back. These are things that are very, very important for us to know. Never to push our own ideals, our own perspectives onto anybody, even if they in fact are true and very high and beautiful ideals. But don't disclose our object in wanting him to go. It's like, let's not let him, let's just see what Divine Mother wants to do. Sister agreed, hopefully. The very next morning, I was pleased to find that Roma and her husband were in readiness for the trip. As our hackney carriage rattled along, my brother-in-law, Satish Chandra Bose, amused himself, his usual pastime, by deriding spiritual gurus of past, present and future. I noticed that Roma was quietly weeping. It feels, I mean, yeah. we've all gone through it. You know, when somebody talks negatively about your guru or even about your practices, it does hurt, doesn't it? It does feel um, a little, it hurts to at least, I mean, okay, if you don't want it, that's fine. 
but at least don't speak negatively. There's this. Have you already gone through that with his father? We've not done it. Yes, yet. I did, think no? we did. Yeah. We read this passage. I don't know if you remember in which Yogananda's father was saying something negative about his guru oh, Sri Yukteswar, and Yogananda says, "Don't. You are only my earthly father." He is my heavenly father. <laughs> If you ever say anything against him, I will disown you. That's the power of you know complete trust and faith in his guru that Yogananda had. That nothing and nobody in his presence could say anything. But we all don't have perhaps that opportunity or even that conviction sometimes to speak of. Sometimes people's negativity affects us and sows seeds of doubt in our own practices, in our own path, which can be quite a A uh, scary pr uh, prospect, sister. Cheer up! I whispered. Don't take your husband. Don't give your husband the satisfaction of believing that we take his mockery seriously. Well, see, Yogananda kept it very light. Mukunda, how can you admire worthless humbugs? Uh, Satish was saying. A sadhu's very appearance is repulsive. He is either as thin as a skeleton or as unholy fat. As an elephant, you know, he was trying to see. Most a lot of times, people in our lives, especially when they see, we found something of substance, something that is naturally lifting up us up to certain higher ideals, bringing a little more self-control in our lives, where we're no longer impulsively and compulsively acting as we used to. You know, people, as much as they want to be happy for us, sometimes they're not. Sometimes they feel inadequate. They feel, you know, in that process, they feel inadequate, and they feel like, you know, this guy has found something, and I haven't. And look at the changes going on in this guy's life, and I. And so they'll find, not out of meanness, just out of just, you know, how it is. Sometimes they'll find ways to bring us to prove to us. You see, you got angry. You're spiritual. You're not supposed to get angry at these things. They'll they'll find ways to remind you of who you used to be. Which was at the level that they could relate to you, but now that we've moved up is a word that somehow suggests hierarchy. But just now that we're in a different flow, and they can't no longer connect to us, their relationship with us is no longer at that level that it used to. They want us to come back to where we were, and so they'll use you know whatever little means that they can to trigger us, and then they will say, "You see, you weren't. You're not actually as spiritual. Or you see, it doesn't work." You've been meditating all this while, and you're still getting upset about the things that I'm saying. If you really believe in this, you would not kind of react this way. And so, Yogananda is, of course, not giving him that opportunity. He says, "I shouted with laughter. My good-natured reaction was annoying to Satish. He retired into sullen silence. And that's very important mm -hmm. again from our side. Don't try to justify." Don't try to, you know, kind of say, okay, like, don't get into a debate with people, or over your spiritual ideals, over your beliefs. Just know that, you know, they're speaking from their perspective, and uh, chances are you're not going to be able to make them see your perspective as easily as you'd like to. So get in, you know, if they're making fun of something, get in there and laugh with them. Know that, okay, they all they really want is for you to, you know, just kind of come back to a little bit to their level. And also, they want to really trigger you so that they can, as we said, kind of uh, show it to you, show the mirror to your face. And when they don't get that opportunity, they themselves have no option but to stop. And I, I think that's a great power to develop within us. Not just when they are talking about our guru, but something that we believe, something that we enjoy, something that we like to do more often than not. You know, not everyone in the family, in our family, is going to support us. But for us to be able to respond with positivity, with a negative to a negative comment, I think that's a real, mm. powerful talent. And a skill that we should develop. So whenever someone kinds of you know jumps onto your neck and tries to you know trigger you, use that as an opportunity to say you know let's see how can I you know joyfully with kind of positive attitude I'm going to pay back that comment. How I'm going to respond to that energy that is trying is really trying to shatter my whole energy. Is trying to trigger me. Is trying to pull me down. Let me fight with it, with a higher 
level of energy. This is something that it's not easy to do on a daily basis, but worth trying. Whenever we are faced with, you know, a negative comment, a negative message, you know, sometimes the messages that we receive, there is an underneath, you know, kind of current. Try to address to that underneath unsaid feeling and respond with it very naturally, very calmly, you know, very positively, because you can disarm, you know, the other person by just giving that loving, compassionate. In fact, we, we should feel like, I'm so sorry that you are feeling so threatened by me liking these things or by me going to this place. I'm so sorry, it must be painful for that person to feel that is losing you or at least losing the concept of who he thinks you are or you were. So must be, you know, it's, it's sad to see some people so disoriented when we are making those uh, spiritual progress in, in our lives. So compassion is, is a good tool to use against negativity and People trying to bring you yes. down. There we go. <laughs> we don't know what's going like on. Like fighting. Anyway, but, here we are. It's 12 o'clock. Let's see. We'll go into our next class. We will get to Dakshineshwar. Have a beautiful experience there. But in the meantime, let's take these two things, those two aspects that we've talked about this time. One is that of the body, of physical healing, of sickness. Let's see if we can change our relationship with that, both for ourselves and for anybody else in our lives. And as we're now going into this direction to see how we can deal with negativity, especially when somebody is negative towards our beliefs, towards our spiritual practices, towards our spiritual line of gurus. What would it be? How do we draw Divine Mother into that situation and let her handle it because she knows what everybody needs in every situation. Have a blessed, blessed day. Tomorrow, 